This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. You found us. Truth seekers, come on in, rest a spell, warm yourself by the fire. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. And when I was lining up tonight's broadcast, I wasn't even aware that next week, at least up here north of the 49th, uh, next week is officially Emergency Preparedness Week. And once again, the conspiracy show is ahead of the curve because we're going to talk about the possibility of a natural or even man-made calamity heading our way. Michael Malouf uh, will join us momentarily to talk about the possibility of an imminent and major EMP event. EMP. What is EMP? Electromagnetic pulse event, which, as you'll learn shortly, would have catastrophic consequences on all of us who reside here in the New World, North America. So uh, in advance of Emergency Preparedness Week, we'll talk about emergency preparedness, because if we wait until Emergency Preparedness Week, it could be too late. The black ops and the rogue elements always stage false flag operations during such, time, uh, such times. Have you noticed? Remember the assassination attempt on Dutch Reagan. It was staged during a continuity of governance drill. And the London bombings, there was a drill going on in the tube at the time. Boston Marathon, there were rumblings that there, uh, there was an anti-terror drill going on. So there you go. Listen, I, I'm not uh, suggesting anything here, but before we get Michael Maloof in here, uh, I wanted to bring this to your attention as well. Uh, residents here in the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, were uh, all on uh, social media uh, earlier this evening after reportedly hearing a loud bang and seeing a flaming object streak across the sky. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Someone in Oakville reported seeing the object around 4.15 uh, p.m. this afternoon. And there were others who spotted it uh, up in uh, Newmarket and uh, even as far east as Whitby. Peterborough police. Peterborough police have received uh, a number of calls describing some type of explosion and houses shaking in the aftermath. And even the, uh, immediate, uh, the American Meteor Society 
has listed 22 reports ranging from New York, New Jersey, St. Catharines, and Caledon. They're all talking about a fireball in the sky. No official word on what the item was or when and where it may have touched down. But it's interesting to note that the annual Eta Aquarids meteor shower is actually expected to, uh, to peak this week, but there's no official word uh, whether what was seen and heard is part of that annual shower. And the meteors seen in the uh, Eta Aquarid, uh, Aquarids shower are apparently, I didn't know this, they're pieces of Halley's Comet that separated about 100 years ago, or hundreds of years ago. Now, a meteor shower is really a thing to behold. It's a thing of beauty. But we also need to be aware that sometimes death and destruction can rain down from the heavens. And one of the greatest threats staring us in the face right now is one that's not getting the attention it deserves. And I'm talking about the threat of a major electromagnetic pulse event, a major EMP, would essentially fry every piece of electronics in its path, including the electrical grid. Were such an EMP event to occur, think about it. I mean, we would be thrown back to horse and buggy days in a matter of moments. And the lights would be out for a very extended period of time. We're not talking just 72 hours. That's what they're... During emergency preparedness week, you'll see all of these PSAs and you'll see the posters. You need to prepare for 72 hours. Have enough fresh water and food. Batteries for your flashlights. Prepare for 72 hours until the good, nice people from the government can get there and deliver the services again. But we're not talking about 72 hours if there's a major EMP event. We're talking possibly years, maybe a decade. No lights. Imagine the catastrophic results on a society so dependent on electricity. Never mind your addiction to your smartphone and, and uh, we. We're talking about a long-term interruption in the delivery of goods and services essential to life. Hospitals, police, fire services, communication, transportation systems, the delivery of fresh water and food, the delivery of health care. None of these things happen without electricity. It would all come to a grinding halt. So now you're probably asking yourself, what the heck is an EMP? How does it happen? How likely is it to occur? What will really happen after such an event occurs? What's being done about this imminent threat? Well, for the next 45, 50 minutes, we're going to discuss all of that and more. Michael Malouf is a former senior security policy analyst in the Office of the Secretary of Defense in the United States. He is the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm very good, Richard. Thank you for having me. I was just reading recently how uh, state lawmakers in Arizona are uh, making, uh, are moving to make sure that the people in the state of Arizona are prepared uh, for such an event, an EMP or it could be a nuclear, a nuclear strike. But essentially what they're saying, if you read the legislation, is they're telling the people of Arizona, you're on your own, folks. Well, let's discuss exactly what an EMP threat is. And um, 
I mean, my understanding is there are, there are a couple of ways that that, come, that could come about, an EMP, mm-hmm. an electromagnetic pulse event. Let's, let's talk about, first of all, a solar flare or a, uh, a mass coronal ejection. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, an electromagnetic pulse is a, a high-intensity burst of uh, electromagnetic energy caused by the rapid acceleration of charged particles. They are so powerful and uh, supercharged that they can uh, knock out or completely fry any unprotected electronics or electrical systems depending upon its intensity and its directness in terms of whether it hits you directly or or just glances off. The aurora borealises that we see, for example, are are electromagnetic, are solar flares from the sun, for example, that come close to the uh, Earth, but uh, don't quite hit it. Sometimes it'll affect our communications. Uh, if they're intense enough, they can uh, affect uh, even the um, uh, our satellites. They can affect our. Uh, they can even affect the astronauts on the space station. And last week uh, uh, we had a we had a, a, a massive yes, solar did. flare that knocked out radios. Uh, I guess it was in the Pacific, the Pacific Rim. Yep. And I might add that the higher you go in the in the uh, latitude, like where you all are, it's going to be even more intense because of your uh, positioning to the uh, North Pole. So that that uh, magnetic the magnetic pole. So it's uh, uh, it, it's anything in the Western Hemisphere certainly would be affected uh, greatly, and that's from a that's just from a natural cause uh, from solar flares, uh, and NASA has predicted. Our, our National Aeronautic and Space Administration, along with our National Academy of Sciences, say that if we had a direct hit from uh, a, a solar flare, um, it would some of which can be some some on the magnitude of 14 to 20 times the size of the Earth. That's how massive these things can be. But if we got a direct hit, it would cost two trillion dollars in the first year just in the United States alone. It would uh, take four to ten years possibly to recover, and it would uh, affect, I love that word, affect, uh, about 90% of the, the U.S. population. Namely, people would uh, die of starvation. Right. Effect of, of means... Medical causes. Right. Effect means death. Right. 90% yes. within the first 90%. year. Uh, yes. What and a it would nightmare. Wipe out your, it would virtually wipe out your urban centers because... Urban centers are much more dependent than your than your uh, rural areas uh, for for the electricity. Although there would be some some uh, uh, burden on them too, but they would probably stand a better chance uh, simply because they're able to grow their own. People are able to grow their own food. Oftentimes, they're able to go out hunting and what have you. Uh, but you you but there are other risks. You're going to have you could have marauding. Uh, 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 gangs, for example, right. going for the ha- the have-nots, going after the haves. Yeah, that thin uh, veneer of civility. Uh, people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, think, oh, how neighborly they were when the lights went out the last time. But that thin veneer of civility disappears after about, I'm guessing, what, maybe a week? Uh, less than that. Less uh, than that. Well, it begins within hours. Uh, you know, when 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 we when we have natural uh, disasters. Uh, grocery stores, for example, in the urban areas are stocked maybe for three days of food. The shelves are cleared out within hours. Right. So, it, uh, it, and and on top of that, in your urban centers, they because of their dependency on on life sustaining critical infrastructures such as uh, food and water delivery, your sanitation, what have you, disease will be a secondary cause. Also, 
uh, uh, EMP can affect uh, the, the flow of, of natural gas and oil through the pipelines because of the uh, because they would uh, have an impact on the automated control systems that we just take for granted. Right, they could get knocked out. As a consequence, you're going to have uh, uh, unexpected uh, explosions and fires. So the the the, uh, the the repercussions would would be a cascading effect uh, of disaster. Water filtration could, plants. Water filtration plants are dependent on on electricity. So no fresh water. That's correct. That's correct. Now we Delivery had. Systems. We had such an event, um, but we didn't notice it back in the – was it the 1850s? It was called the Carrington event, but nobody really noticed. Why was that? That's correct. That's correct. And I think Quebec uh, had an uh, outage, out, outage in uh, 1989 from a solar flare, in fact, that affected the hydroelectric uh, facility up there. And if it weren't for um, – um, uh, and, and, the, and that, that impact, that, I think some 6 million people were affected by that. Uh, over a course of uh, days and weeks, and and it had and again it began to come on down the U.S. East Coast, and uh, if it weren't for I believe the station and the, the substation in Allegheny, New York, wasn't able to uh, was able to stop it, uh, otherwise it would have taken out the whole East Coast as well. Michael Maloof is with us, the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. We'll uh, take a time out and come back and discuss with Michael uh, how exactly these power grids are affected, how interconnected are they. And it's not just the delivery of electricity to your home. What about our national defense systems? How vulnerable would we be to outside incursions or attack or such an event were to occur. The threat of an electromagnetic pulse event is real, but what is being done about it? We'll find out when we come back. Stay with us. The solar storm of 1859, uh, also known as the Carrington event, was this powerful geomagnetic solar storm uh, during what's called a solar cycle 10, and a solar flare or coronal mass ejection hit our uh, magnetosphere and induced the largest known solar storm, uh, which was observed and recorded by Richard C. Carrington, hence the name, the Carrington Super Flare. Uh, the thing is that it wasn't readily apparent to a lot of people, unless you happen to be a telegraph uh, operator, in which case you may have been electrocuted. Um, and uh, that was because, think about it, in 1859, we weren't that dependent on electricity. But imagine a solar cycle 10 a coronal mass ejection hitting the Earth today. Well, that's what's staring us in the face. And that's not the only way it can happen, as we are about to discuss, uh, discuss with Michael Maloof, the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. All right, uh, let's quickly discuss the other way an EMP could hit our shores. Well, the other way would be man-made. Uh, and this is generally from a high-altitude nuclear explosion. Uh, the, one, we're, we're watching North Korea very, very closely right now. They, they just announced that they can uh, 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 launch a missile that uh, can go 10,000 10, miles, but it doesn't have to do that. All they have to do is orbit a uh, satellite, and that satellite in turn could become the nuclear weapon, and it could be orbiting around 150 miles, and that thereby gives them the uh, capability to... Uh, to explode it at that at that height on command uh, anywhere in the world, and 
and this is something we've been watching. Uh, if, if you'll recall, North Koreans uh, last uh, in December of 12, 2012, following a nuclear test, uh, began to make overt um, uh, uh, threats to the United States of of, uh, of 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 attacking the United States without without warning. And they also uh, made videos showing nuclear explosions in Washington and New York City. And uh, this, this, uh, the, the the question was, what, what, why are they doing this, and and uh, and and how are they doing this, and how will they deliver it? And uh, again, that that satellite that that they were able to successfully orbit could become, in effect, a nuclear weapon. Now, the testing that they've been doing has been low yield, and. And, and purposely so, because what our uh, intelligence community is suggesting is that uh, that low yield really is not so much to, for, for uh, damage that you would have from a normal nuclear explosion, a large one of uh, considerable numbers of kilotons, but it, it's, it's designed to be made into what we call a super EMP, which uh, emits uh, tremendous amounts of gamma rays, more so than than uh, the normal uh, nuclear device would. So in, in the and, case of an EMP, it, bigger is not necessarily better when it comes to a nuclear bomb. That's right. The more, the more, the more gamma rays that it can emit, the more damage it will do. And, and gamma rays are a form of electromagnetic uh, energy, just like uh, X-rays and uh, uh, your, your radars. Radars emit a, uh, a microwave, and, and that you could put a, a – a terrorist could put a – a radar in the back of a truck, aim it at a building, and knock out electronics. And the thing is, you wouldn't know where it came from. And unfortunately, we have websites today that tell people how you can make an EMP weapon and how to upgrade it so that oh it my. becomes so to, to scale so that it could be even more forceful. So 150 miles something. above the Earth—that's the sweet spot. <laughs> uh, it's one of yeah. That's anywhere from 150 to 300 miles. Uh, the higher you go, the the more coverage you get. And uh, if, if it's ex- if exploded over Kansas, it would cover all the continental United States. It's and been about, it's, uh, it's been suggested that, um, and, and I'm sure you've heard this uh, discussed, that you know you could commandeer a large aircraft. Oh, let's say a Boeing 777, and place some small nuclear device on there and fly it over and detonate it. Uh, above the United States somewhere. Is that feasible? Uh, well, I think it would be difficult because you, all the planes have to be uh, accounted for, and I, I think it would be shot down, hopefully. But uh, Just like it, on 9-11? You can, do it with, you, you can do it with drones, sure. Yeah, you can do it with drones. Uh, ne- Boeing just conducted a, a, a test in which they had EMP equipment that was aimed at a building and knocked out Every computer in that building, and uh, and it just just by flying a drone over, and it doesn't have to be a nuclear weapon per se. It can be a device that uh, emits uh, these these uh, ter- ter- terrific amounts of uh, uh, microwaves. That's basically what they did to take out every computer in that building. It was a test, All right. but it was effective. Well, there's there's an awful lot of chatter right now, and I mentioned the uh, the, uh, the Arizona state legislators right. basically telling people, why is there all this chatter? Are, uh, is there something we're not being told? Is this How, well, how yeah, imminent is well, this threat? Well, the, 
I, I think I think given the unsettledness of the world world order these days, I think people are becoming increasingly concerned. Uh, anything can set off any uh, anybody at any time. Any country with a with a rocket and with a nuclear device is capable of launching an EMP. Your Russians, your Chinese, the Iranians, the uh, North Koreans, the, the Pakistanis, the the, the Indians, even the Israelis, they all know about EMP, and they all got a nuclear capability. And and if even even if we get it, even if let's for example say that the Pakistanis and the and the uh, Indians got into it and exchanged nuclear devices, it, it would affect the world uh, because the and uh, not only because of the uh, radiation, but also because of high altitude. And they're very aware of EMPs. So uh, given the unsettledness of things, and I might add, our air defense systems, our missile defense systems are not up to par in the United States. Now, the, the, the North Koreans, uh, and I would say that, that those systems that we have are aimed toward the North Pole area, sh- should there be a satellite or a, or a rocket coming in from the North Pole. But what we've seen is that the uh, North Koreans test going over the, the, the South Pole, and we do not have... Uh, uh, missile defenses from that direction. And I would add that uh, because we don't have missile defenses, a number of our folks have been uh, talking about uh, uh, having our Aegis uh, anti-missile defense systems uh, on, on our ships and on our land be able to uh, take take it out. There was a test of the Aegis system uh, about two years ago in which it was uh, it, it successfully intercepted a, a, a rocket uh, coming into the United, coming into back into the atmosphere. It was, it was about 150 miles. It had a lot of chemicals on it, and it was one of those rockets that uh, uh, basically fell out of orbit, was heading back to Earth, and it was successfully destroyed. So, the, as an interim measure, we're, we're talking about maybe trying to get more Aegis systems uh, either on sea, at, on, the, on the sea or on the, on the land to be aimed more toward the South Pole area, uh, just in case the North Koreans want to do that. Now, you don't need, uh, you don't need to, uh, to have that either. You can have uh, a freighter off the coast and uh, shoot up a missile, uh, uh, just a Scud missile with a rocket or with a, uh, a nuclear device on it uh, and, uh, and, and explode it over the, uh, the megapolis, let's say, from, uh, in the United States from uh, uh, Boston to uh, Washington, one of our heaviest population areas. It would knock out the eastern grid. We have three grids in the United States. It would knock out the eastern grid. But the eastern grid uh, services some 70% of the U.S. population. Now, how is it that, I mean, we can perhaps, you know, defend against a nuclear uh, device which might produce an EMP, but we can't necessarily defend against a solar flare unless we take right. measures to shield our electronics and our grids. And, and you know, right. why haven't we taken measures to properly well, shield our grid system? Well, that's why I wrote the book. Uh, the federal government, U.S. federal government, has known about this problem for years. They've known about it since the 1960s. And, uh, and I called the book A Nation Forsaken because the federal government basically has let people down. DHS is very aware of it. The U.S. Defense Department is very aware of, of EMPs. Uh, we, we cannot get the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, to make EMP attack one of their 15 planning scenarios. 
Now, those planning scenarios are very important because if there is an event, uh, then then those those scenarios are kicked into effect on how to proceed. And the problem is is that at the state and local levels, those the first responders and the emergency services in the in the United States in in the states of the United States uh, take their lead from the uh, federal DHS. And if the DHS isn't going to do anything, they're not going to do anything. Right now, this minute. Uh, states are ill-prepared, <clears throat> even first responders are ill-prepared to deal with an EMP. And with an EMP, you have to assume all of your electronics and all of your communications goes out. And that would also include your emergency vehicles. Uh, uh, I, I heard testimony uh, last, last year uh, from uh, uh, first responders in uh, Massachusetts in which uh, they said that uh, – if their trucks were affected by an EMP, they would they would be knocked out. They wouldn't be able to respond. And if you don't have the communications, then then the, then the question is, what do people do? And my, again, my, I called the book a nation forsaken because the federal government has let people down. Now, what we're doing, a number of us, uh, at the uh, uh, through an EMP coalition that we've established, and also through the EMP caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives, we're trying to get states of the United States now to take that initiative. And that's what has begun. It, it, last year, in February of last in June of last year, Maine, state of Maine, uh, did pass, wanted to require hardening of, their, uh, hardening of their grid. Now, what Arizona just did was to um, uh, at least tell people to be prepared and what to do on an individual basis and with your families. Uh, and and the and and this is this is one of the things I raise in my book toward the end of it. Of what you can do at the uh, at the personal level uh, to to prepare if all else fails, if all of your uh, governments at, at at the federal, state, and even local levels fail you. Well, this is what you need to do as an individual. Yeah, I think I would direct people right to the back of the book as soon as they buy it because, <laughs> quite frankly, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. We, we, how many times do we have to live through a Hurricane Sandy or a Katrina uh, to realize, you know, the nice government folks ain't coming? That's correct. So, I mean, uh, and how long does it – It's going to be even worse because it will take months, maybe years, as you pointed out earlier in your introduction, and, and uh, people will not be able to survive. How do you what, – what's involved in hardening, you know, the power grid? Well, it takes money, but, it, but the m- amount of money that it takes is a fraction of what uh, would be the cost uh, if we didn't. I would – you know, as I said, NASA said just from a natural event, a direct hit from a, from a solar flare would cost $2 trillion in the first year. We're estimating it would be no more than about uh, 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 up to $20 billion at most. Twenty billion. Uh, yeah. Well, the and, Fed the and, Fed and, can and, print and, that in about twenty seconds. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for for the utilities, it's been an issue of cost. And and uh, what we would like to see done is that the federal government uh, works with the states to make this a much higher priority to start working on that. Now, there has been uh, the our, our federal um, uh, energy uh, regu- regulatory agency has now directed. Uh, the uh, utilities to do just that, to start hardening the grid. Now, it, it's all out for comment, and that's, this takes time and because of the democratic process. But uh, there, is, there is an effort underway right now with our what we call the FERC, Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Commission, to, 
start taking some initiative out of concern for, for this. And I think the thing that really triggered it was cyber attacks. Now, if you can guard against a, an EMP, you can pretty much guard against a cyber attack. Cyber attack is very temporary. EMP could be permanent because of the damage and the destruction it would do to your, trans, to your transformers, to your transmission lines, and, and as, as you pointed out, frying, the, in many cases, frying these lines. And I would add, you know, during the Carrington event, uh, those telegraph poles, uh, even though they, they singed the wires and, and burned them out, they also created fires. That, 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 uh, that, that event uh, in 1859, according to accounts I've read, actually created fires uh, where the uh, telegraph uh, right telegraph uh, poles were and the poles caught on fire and, and some buildings collapsed and it, 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 even then they had effects of course what people saw for the most part were uh, three days of, of beautiful aurora borealis around the world wow it wasn't just right. in the north <laughs> yeah and and those telegraphs those telegraphs even though they were knocked offline because of the power surge some of them can continue to receive and send messages without without being connected yes That's right uh, Michael Malouf is uh, with us, uh, the author of A Nation Forsaken, uh, EMP, and um, The Threat of an American Catastrophe, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. We'll take a time out, come back. We'll open up the phone lines, too, if you've got questions or comments. What can we do right now? Let's not wait for the nice government people to come and help us. Let's say there's a solar flare coming our way, something wicked this way comes in the next couple of weeks. What can we do right now to protect ourselves? as we discuss the threat of an EMP event here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Once again, Michael Maloof is with us, former senior security policy analyst in the office of the Secretary of Defense, author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Uh, Michael has almost 30 years of federal service in the U.S. Defense Department and as a specialized trainer for border guards and special forces in select countries of the Caucasus and Central Asia. While with the Department of Defense, Michael was Director of Technology Security Operations as head of a 10-person team involved in halting the diversion of military critical technologies to countries of national security and proliferation concern and those involved in sponsoring terrorism. Uh, now, I want to get back to, sh to the shielding and hardening, hardening of the mm -hmm. power grids. You mentioned, you know, the cost, $20 billion, but how long does it take? Is it a lengthy process? Let's sure. say they get, the, they get the green light to do it. Well, if we got the green light to do it, it would take a – if it was a concerted effort, it would probably take a good five years. Uh, what's happening is that with our grid system, we're putting more and more demand on it all the time. Even though we're upgrading, we're still not putting in, putting in the hardened chips, those kind of uh, electronics that can withstand radiation. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be uh, impressing upon them to do, uh, the utilities and even uh, the, uh, the, the uh, state commissions uh, to, to uh, mandate that. And what we're trying to do now is get the states to uh, require the utilities to start doing that. And we've gotten some uh, positive uh, feedback from uh, Texas, uh, New York, um, North Carolina, uh, Maine certainly, and now uh, – uh, Arizona in, in, in talking about preparation, but uh, it, it, Arizona's uh, situation is still not sufficient as far as uh, we're concerned. But it's the beginning, and uh, we have to. I, I do applaud them for at least recognizing this problem and and taking the action that they have to date. And hopefully, there'll be follow up. But uh, it will take it will take some time, and and all we're 
and we're really on borrowed time at the moment uh, for two reasons. Number one, the sun is going through a cycle right now. It's an 11-year cycle in which we could begin to uh, uh, realize the, the most intense period, what they call a solar storm maximum. Uh, and this can go on for uh, the rest of uh, this year and well into next year uh, because it has to um, it has has to degrade over time. And if that and a flare can whip off that sun at any time, and if it's if there's a spot on the sun that's aligned with the Earth, we're we're in trouble. How can, how have so we managed far, to dodge that bullet for the last uh, hundred hundred and sixty well, years? On, well, we're past due. Uh, they estimate they they came in about once every. 100 to 150 years. So we're, we're on borrowed time right now. And how dependent is the, 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 the defense system on, the, on these power grids? One would assume that they would have their own sort of, you know, well, uh, a power grid system that would be heavily shielded. But how dependent are they on the, the, the power grid that uh, the rest of us poor slobs are? Well, all of our military bases in the United States uh, rely upon the civilian grid Ninety-nine percent. Oh my gosh! It's, it's almost laughable if it weren't so tragic. The implications. Well, what they have done is hardened some of their weapon systems, uh, some of your offensive weapon systems, your your the F thirty fives, the uh, the B twos, but not the not the bases, not the uh, they're, they're working on microgrids, but that's a very experimental thing. I would add that hospitals would be dramatically affected as well, but. Uh, but but uh, the in, in terms of uh, preparedness and readiness, this is of concern. Now, the one the one other thing that uh, we we noticed, uh, you'll recall that there was a North Korean ship that was um, uh, halted in the Panama Canal had just come out of Cuba. Right, I what remember that. Yes. On, what they what they found was an SA two, which is a surface to air missile. It's an old Soviet era missile. And, and during the Cuban Missile Crisis in '62, that the emphasis and the focus was on the the surface-to-surface missiles that were taken out, but they were not focused on the surface-to-air missile, which is nuclear capable. It'll get the job done. It may be old, but it'll, it'll get, get the job done. It, it'll get the job done, and it was going. And we assess that Cuba has maybe about a hundred of these right now because they were never taken out, and if they're being sent back and forth to North Korea for up for uh, uh, modernizing and upgrading, then it's a problem. We used to have a, uh, this idea of mutually agreed destruction. Now, when it comes to EMP, mm-hmm. let's say warfare uh, based on EMP events, uh, are the, the enemies of, uh, NATO, let's say call them NATO and NORAD's enemies, real or perceived, are their power grids as equally vulnerable? Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, there, there's the, the all the power. If you're relying upon the electrical grid system, uh, they they don't have independent grid systems. What they are working, what they are working on. Of course, they have generators, but you know, dependent upon how much fuel you have to fuel that generator. If it doesn't have any electron electronics in it, uh, it could it could go out within a week. Same with hospitals. Uh, hospitals will Im- Im- immediately uh, switch over to the uh, generators. And, and run for about three to five days. Uh, the same, and what should also be of concern to people would be your uh, nuclear power stations. They indeed they, yes. they could they they can cause uh, overheating and uh, and then you have and meltdowns and you would have uh, Fukushima's all over the place. Oh my word! And, and a lot of them are built on not just on, on on your fault lines, but if an EMP were to hit, 
and again, they have, they work on generators as well. And again, their their limitation is the amount of fuel that's available to fuel them. And if you have an EMP, the ability to uh, transport fuel to receive fuel will also be uh, greatly uh, hampered. Which of the and you may not be able to get it all. No, no, indeed. Which of the two? Um, causes of an EMP has you most worried uh, on this particular day? Is it the solar flare or is it a uh, terrorist attack? Uh, not not so much a terrorist attack. I would say a solar flare right now because it can happen at any time. We're right in the midst of that. And, and our, our national grid system uh, setup is, is so overtaxed right now and vulnerable. You know, if a squirrel can... Uh, uh, knock out a line in Ohio and, and take out the East Coast, that's pretty se- serious and pretty sad. And that's exactly what's happened. How, how so, much uh, advance notice would we have? None. None. Oh, well, you would have a few hours seeing the, the flare coming down, but uh, you would not. You you wouldn't have absolutely no time to prepare. No time to prepare. You would have warning that something was coming down, uh, and it travels at terrific speeds. Uh, you're talking hours. Well, when we, when we come back, Michael, we'll have about 15 minutes to prepare our listeners. Okay. <laughs> A Herculean task, but we'll do our okay. best. Back with more okay. of my conversation with Michael Malouf, the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Uh, you know, it, it goes without saying we're not here to, to cause mass panic, but... This threat is real. Uh, it's not getting the attention that it deserves. We're talking about uh, the, uh, the imminent threat of an EMP, an electronic or electromagnetic pulse event, which could knock out power grids uh, across the continent, leaving us to freeze in the dark for a decade, perhaps. It would take that long, conceivably, to bring the power back on, to bring the lights back on. Uh, and just think about how all of our activity is so dependent upon electricity. The delivery of essential services, food, fresh water, fuel, medicine, police services, fire services, defense, all dependent on the grid. And once it goes down, the delivery of all of those things comes to a grinding, sudden halt back in the dark ages. What do you do? Michael Malouf is with us, and again, the book is A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Let's call it a North American Catastrophe. We're all in the same boat here. So let's flip to the back of the book quickly, Michael. Uh, what do we do? Let's say we live in an urban center. What do you recommend we do? Well, people are limited by uh, what, they, what, what resources they have, and uh, if they can stock up some stuff and, and also have alternative Plans. They should have a plan, in effect, on where to go and what to do because uh, uh, the urban centers are going to become uninhabitable before very long, and uh, and it's going to be it's going to be chaos. Uh, I'm afraid. So we need a rural retreat. We need a rural basically, retreat. Basically, you need one. And one of the things that I was uh, that, that I, I mentioned in the book is that. Uh, uh, there should be predetermined um, plans already mapped out by communities on what, where to go for food, water, medic, medic, medicines, 
people only keep about a month's worth of uh, medication on hand. And uh, and they, there should be prescribed places only, only because you have to assume that all communications will be knocked out. People should be informed where they need to report to and where, what they need to do so that uh, otherwise it's just people are going to be uh, running around uh, like crazy. Uh, and, you, and we've seen it just with uh, other natural disasters on a, on a far lesser scale. Well, but but you're saying you know if but if every, if everyone is is trying to get out of dodge and get to their cottage or get to their cave or wherever, I mean that's mm-hmm. going to be chaos too, won't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's there's no happy ending to this. It's the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of the end, basically. It's uh, it would be a very catastrophic development. So, I mean. There then there is an argument uh, for sort of grouping together in a community, rather than everyone heading off to their you know their fifty acres and. Uh, well, if you have a place, that's fine. If not, communities even within the urban environment need to uh, organize and and be able to know what to do, where to go, and uh, and how to how to proceed and. Uh, but but no one's or, no one's that organized anywhere that I that I'm aware of. No, and uh, I mean unless you um, are adept at uh, you know self dentistry and uh, um, uh, advanced uh, first aid, uh, sure. you know carpentry, well, all of those things, and if you can't do it on your own, no, you cannot. Uh, that's why we need to really. Uh, and the book talks about some of the. Survivalist inst- uh, things that we, sh- we should be bringing back. Our, our survivalist instincts are gone because of because of uh, technology. We've relied upon technology for so long in our in our day and age that uh, uh, we really don't know how to uh, survive uh, such a, such an event if we were catapulted back to the 19th century. Let's say you have some electronics, um, I don't know, a hand crank radio or something like that. I mean, they would be vulnerable as well, I'm guessing. How do you, how do you protect uh, those valuable pieces of equipment that, that would come in really, a generator, for example? How do you protect yeah, well, that the, stuff? Well, it's, there are such things as Faraday cages. Uh, they can become expensive. They're, they're basically are sealed steel boxes. And you would, you would want to have your uh, a spare phone with batteries and, uh, and a, and a radio already in the in the um, uh, Faraday cage in order to just in case something happens because if you're on the if you're on your uh, cell phone and 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 this event occurs uh, it's out that that uh, that phone's broken and uh, it, you won't be able to use it again it's simply because of the electronics that are in it now and and, and I would add uh, even even the ability to communicate uh, that. The transmissions of it will be will be affected. Now, in the United States, there they they have been working on an emergency system, and I don't know that it's up to speed to, to deal with an EMP. This is when the president comes on and uh, announces an emergency and all that. The emergency uh, um, emergency system, national emergency system, uh, it's not up to speed for to deal with an EMP. Uh, we just received this email from a um, a listener who goes by um, the handle the dude. And he writes, uh, in the USA and Canada, hams, ham radio operators, do a 24-hour emergency disaster communication drill every third weekend in June called Field Day. Uh, And then he says, okay, fourth weekend in June. In a nutshell, thousands of stations set up portable or mobile two-way stations that must work off-grid. 
So you can use a vehicle generator, battery, solar, etc., to set up a multi-band station and make as many contacts as possible in a 24-hour period. And the dude says he's done quite a few of these with various amateur radio groups. Um, or he's laid, lo- loaded his radios and gear, loaned, I think he means, his radios and gear out to those groups uh, if he had to work. Uh, are you familiar with these, these field day uh, events? I've, I've heard of them. Uh, again, if there's electronics in their systems, they're going to get knocked out. Right, unless they're properly shielded in a Faraday cage. Uh, unless, uh, exactly. Now, if, you have a, if, if, you're, if your plan is to get out of Dodge, uh, so this thing, this EMP event occurs, how are you going to get out of Dodge? I mean, the electronic components in your car are going to be fried. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's true, too. Well, I, I think we need to bring back the, the, the civil defense systems that we used to have in the 50s at the uh, beginning of the Cold War. We really need to re-institute re, uh, those, put them in the community so that people know where to report to and where to go. There, there you had food that was stocked, and, and people were uh, people drilled, and they, uh, they, they had um, the means to uh, uh, survive. Uh, this is, this is a, in, in lieu of uh, the government doing nothing about hardening the system. If we're able to harden the system, then you mitigate the problem tremendously. And, and it should be done on on a priority basis with your communications and what have you. But none of that has none of that is being done right now. So I think in in, in lieu of that, the states ought to uh, come back in with uh, uh, local civil defense uh, facilities where people know where they can report to, and everything is set up and stocked, uh, ready to go uh, in, in in the event of such a any event. Would you would you say that this is the number one threat to our security right now? Right now, yes, because if we, if we had an EMP uh, uh, attack or even an EMP event, uh, it's, it's, our ability to, to respond uh, would be very, very limited. We, first of all, we may not even know where, the, where it came from. Uh, let's say if it was a man-made event. We may not even know who instigated it uh, unless we had some really great intelligence and that's questionable. And you say that they've uh, known about this for the last 50 years, yet have done virtually correct. nothing about it. Correct. We had, in, in 2008, the, uh, uh, there was a congressionally mandated EMP commission that talked about what the impact of, a, of, a, uh, of an EMP event would be on our life-sustaining critical infrastructures. And it was devastating. And it would be a cascading effect. You knock out one of those critical infrastructures, it affects all of them. And we're talking, we're talking quite a number of them, uh, uh, anywhere from eight to eighteen, depending upon what you're looking at. I mean, we're talking about, uh, in addition to the uh, uh, the grid system, our telecommunications, our banking and finance systems. I mean, it can knock out your databases. You wouldn't even know how much money you had in your in your accounts. Uh, it can knock out the petroleum and uh, uh, natural gas uh, delivery systems, our transportation system, uh, food and water delivery emergency services, as well as our space systems, among others. All of these would be affected instantly. So obviously you want to have a little, uh, well, I mean, I'd say you'd have a little cash on hand, but um, for what? I mean, it's going to be bedlam. Yeah, for what? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the cash would be worthless. People are going to want your guns. They're going to want your food. They're going to want uh, your medications and and any other possessions you might have. And if you have shielded, let's say you've taken steps and you've shielded your generator, so your generator is operating, and it's, I mean, that's just going to be a beacon to all those marauding gangs out there uh, to come to your place. 
Yeah, and that's why we feel, you know, we have we have uh, our Second Amendment uh, right to bear arms and what have you in the United States. I think Canada has a different situation. Oh, we gave that up uh, a long time ago, yes. Well, well, what are you going to do if uh, these gangs could start roaming? How do you defend yourself? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, we cower under the bed and call 911. Oh, shoot, we can't do that either. No, cannot do that. We uh, can do. You know, it's it's frustrating. Uh, well, it's beyond frustrating to know that they've known. I say they, the government, has known about this for fifty years. They've done almost nothing. You've described this right. as the number one threat, and yet, what are they pouring their resources into? Training TSA officials to pat down ninety-year-old Amish grandmothers in case they have a shoe bomb. Uh, it's just right. it's maddening. Well, there's no priorities. Uh, we we have no priorities anywhere these days, and you can just see by the confusion that we're having to deal with. On a daily basis, in terms of our uh, of our national and foreign policies, there are, there are none. We're only reacting to events. We we don't have a plan, and we should we should have plans uh, for for these kinds of events. And uh, we're 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 not thinking in those in those terms. Uh, we we uh, uh, there's supposed to be a hearing uh, next week in the U.S. House on uh, on on EMP. They're going to have a hearing. The utilities will object, and that'll be the end of it. Every year this happens, and then nothing ever occurs. Now, we've had what, what's called the SHIELD Act to, to pass the House about three times, never passed the Senate, U.S. Senate. Uh, the SHIELD Act would mandate uh, hardening, hardening of, uh, of everything uh, so that um, uh, we, we would be able to withstand an EMP. Yeah. As I said, we're not going to go away, get away uh, uh, without a scratch, but we can at least guard the most critical infrastructures that w- that we would have to rely upon until which time we can come back. Our, our transformers, for example, our very large transformers are all foreign-made, and we it takes on a it takes about three years to get another one in. We don't keep them in surplus because of their tremendous cost, and they have to be specially designed. Look at what happened down in San Jose. People were shooting out transformers. They shot out 17 transformers with an AK-47. Right. We still don't know who did it. Now, was this a prelude to something larger that's to come? Well, who knows? I mean, that's that's the thinking of some of us, that uh, this is a possibility of a, of a domestic terrorism on a larger scale that could occur by hitting those transformers. And the uh, DHS had a – I think it was DHS – had a report that was uh, leaked that basically said if you hit nine transformers in the United States – and they, they would not identify those nine transformers. If you hit those, then uh, it would knock out all electricity in the United States. Wow, what a lovely scenario uh, you've painted mm-hmm. for us. Um, Michael, mm-hmm. listen, I appreciate the time you've spent with us tonight. And again, the book is A Nation sure. Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. That's available through World Net Daily Books, or WND now, we, we should call it, WND. Yes. Thank you again, Michael. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. The website, richardserrett.com. Hey, don't forget to subscribe. I get to 500 uh, subscribers, and I'll start uh, publishing the weekly newsletter. In the meantime, follow the truth. Thanks for inviting me into your home and your head. And thank you for your ears and your voices. Emerson wrote, 
Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. The virtue in most requests is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. What was Ralph Waldo on about there, I wonder? Think about it. In order for a people to rule or to be ruled effectively, instead of government of the people, by the people, for the people, we're ruled. We are ruled, make no mistake. Some of us, many of us, God, maybe even most of us, are stumbling towards the apocalypse with drool on our chins, and we're quite content to be ruled. And uh, the elites are quite happy to return the favor. They're quite happy to rule over us. So how do they do that? Well, they convince society, your neighbor, your colleague, that guy you carpool with, to demand conformity. But you, dear listener, you don't run with the herd, which is why you listen to shows like this. You're not a conformist. You think for yourself. And that's dangerous. That can't be tolerated. And so all of society is in a conspiracy against all of its members. The virtue in request, the virtue in most request is conformity. It begins in public school. They demand conformity. You try and fight it. You try and think for yourself. But everywhere, the supermarket, the golf course, the PTA meeting, your nonconformist ways are challenged and despised. You're not one of us. You're not normal. Your child should be on medication. Sorry, we're making some changes here at work and you don't fit in with our new direction. In other words, you don't fit in with the company culture. You think for yourself. You can't be a cop if you're a nonconformist. You can't run for political office and win if you're a nonconformist. You can't host the morning show on a major radio station if you're a nonconformist. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of us and its members. The virtue in most requests is conformity. And what else do rulers despise? What makes their job of ruling over a people very difficult? Self-reliance. What's that you say? You're off the grid? You homeschool your kids? You grow your own food? You own a gun and you're prepared to defend yourself, your home and your family? You don't call 911 and cower under the bed? You resent paying taxes? Why? You sound like an extremist. Next thing you'll be telling me is you own gold outside the banking system. Let's put that person on a no-fly zone and monitor their emails. Darn. They don't own a computer or a cell phone. They're off the grid. Quick, let's raise their property taxes and get them off that land and into the city where we can keep an eye on them. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Self-reliance is its aversion. We all need to get busy, very busy, and get self-reliant. If you're not, and admittedly I am not, we need to get self-reliant fast. Next week is emergency preparedness week, and the nice government people want you to take measures to protect yourself and family in case of some emergency. A power outage, an earthquake, a mudslide, a tornado. It all depends on what region of North America you reside. They want you to have enough fresh water and food stores and maybe some extra batteries and flashlights at the ready, enough to last 72 hours. You're going to hear a lot about that. 72 hours. 
That's three days until the nice government people can restore services, the nice government people can restore electricity or distribution of food and water. 72 hours, three days. We have short memories. Think back to the ice storm we had here this past December. How many of you were essentially on your own for several weeks? No nice government people were there to help you. Ask people who lived through Sandy or Katrina, where were the nice government people then? The lesson is we need to prepare ourselves for an eventuality where the nice government people won't be coming to help. Of course, we talked recently about an EMP event that could turn out the lights across North America for years. By some estimates, within a year, up to 90% of the population would be, quote-unquote, affected. What they mean is dead. That's how utterly dependent we are on the power grid. That's how vulnerable we are. And state governments in the U.S., states like Arizona, are now busy letting their people know if such an event were to occur, essentially, you're on your own. We we need to start thinking like that. We are on our own. Self-reliance. Dare to prepare. 72 hours is probably not going to get it done. What if the lights don't come on after three days or three weeks or three months? Then what? Let's discuss for the next hour, shall we? Self-reliance. A valuable attribute in troubling times. Self-reliance. That's going to be a real important attribute in the rocky days ahead when we have our metal tested, perhaps like no other generation. So just tuck that Emerson quote away someplace handy where you can find it and reflect upon it in the coming days. The lesson is we need to prepare for an eventuality where the lights might stay off indefinitely. Let's discuss. Stan Deo has held above top-secret security clearance and worked undercover for the FBI. He was part of an exclusive black project headed by Dr. Edward Teller, specializing in the development of flying saucer technology. But he's also the author of a number of books, including Dare to Prepare. He served as host for several television programs on inventor Nikola Tesla and as a series of three highly rated shows on Channel 9 in Perth, Australia. UFOs are here, UFOs, Deo and you, and UFOs are back. But he's here on The Conspiracy Show to talk about Emergency preparedness. Stan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, good. Thank you, Richard. I uh, just want to correct one little thing there. Uh, the uh, book that would pre- probably be most germane of what research I've done is The Cosmic Conspiracy. Now, Holly, my wife, wrote the Dare to Prepare book. So ah, well, it's all in the family. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. And i tell you what, we talk preparedness and do preparedness around here all the time. Uh, and it's getting more and more a necessity for people, isn't it? I recently spoke with Michael Malouf, uh, the author of uh, A Nation Forsaken, EMP, and um, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. And again, I mean, I don't know how you talk about this without scaring people to death, but this is the stark reality that an EMP is what's staring us in the face. We are heading, we are in the midst of a, uh, uh, a solar cycle where a solar flare is quite possible. Uh, We could have another Carrington event. And this time, of course, we're not just talking about knocking telegraphs offline. 
we are talking about virtually every aspect of human activity coming to a grinding halt. And, and quite frankly, Michael Maloof painted a pretty grim picture. Um, how do you perceive an EMP threat? Well, I perceive it as a very real threat, um, either by act of war from some of our enemies, uh, enemy nation states, or and or from the sun itself, as you uh, mentioned just a few seconds ago. We've had two spots, uh, two very active beta-gamma magnetic field spots on the sun rotate into a position where if they had had a, um, an M-class flare, and they were certainly, they were possible, that they were aimed at the Earth. Now, I think it was 2049, 2047, and seven's already gone by now, and 49 will drift by in a couple of days, and maybe we'll be out of you know, harm's way there. When we start talking about areas on the sun that uh, can throw out a flare, and then most times a coronal mass ejection right behind it, in, in the areas uh, of the sun that are very intense like that, if they're capable of putting out an X-class flare, and say, you know, an X-30 or 40, something like that, that would be extremely serious. And so whenever you hear, you know, uh, on spaceweather.com or on the radio that the sun is, uh, put, might produce an X-class flare or it has just produced one, um, if it was aimed at the Earth, you won't be able to do anything about it because by the time they detect it, um, it will have hit us and fried, you know, that side of the, of the uh, Earth anyway. Most of the electronics that aren't grounded or in safety, uh, you know, Faraday cage type things will be zapped and will not work again. But there are a lot of things that can do that, and people have said, oh, look, uh, you know, that'll, that'll wipe out telephones, communication, blah, 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 and uh, uh, computers will go down. So we'll put a spare computer and a radio in a Faraday cage of some description. And I said to him, well, okay, that's good. Uh, do you know when the when the EMP is going to come from the sun or when Russia or China are going to attack us with an EMP? Uh, well, no. So you might be using the stuff that you've uh, put away or would put away into a safety uh, area, like a Faraday cage, when it hits and it won't do any good to have the Faraday cage. Oh, yeah, but I'll have I'll be operating on my computer and listen to the radio and I'll have a spare in the Faraday cage. I said, well, how many spares are you going to have? Because you're prepared for one. And if you use your spare after the EMP has fried everybody else's stuff and you're using it and a second one hits you, then, well, you better have, you know, a third backup and a fourth and a fifth. And it gets to a point of ridiculous after a while. So I said, you, you better be thinking about, okay, I might have one backup of things that, uh, that are you know, key to communication, find out what's going on. But other than that, you better be preparing for how to go back to the horse and buggy age and survive with your neighbors. So the the, the whole Faraday cage and, and shielding and protecting your devices uh, is really folly, is what you're saying. We need to learn how to live the way our ancestors did. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not folly entirely, but uh, you're going to be, uh, it, it's like we say in gambling, it's a crapshoot. You know, it, it's a gamble because you don't know how many or when and from where an EMP situation will come. And with the current situation worldwide and, and, and the Middle East and, and um, Ukraine, you know, we, we're kind of pushing the envelope a bit, and I think that we could see a nuclear war or the beginning of it fairly shortly. Uh, Stan, I want to point out that um, you've got a number of um, 
interesting uh, images, maps, um, uh, graphs, and so forth, uh, dozens of them, that are um, posted on um, your website, standeo.com. And I just want to give out the uh, URL here if people want to log on during the, uh, the show and look at these as we discuss. You know, the simple way to do that, Richard, would be to say go to standeo.com. Right. S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. And if you just scroll down just a quarter of a page or so, on the right you'll see a picture of a microphone, you know, like a drawing of a microphone. And it'll say show images. Click on that and it'll take you straight to it. Excellent. So go to standeo.com and uh, you'll see a, a microphone and it says show images. Click on that and you'll see, for example, a, a map of an EMP radius of damage in North America. You'll see uh, an a EMP radius of damage over central uh, USA. Uh, photographs of um, blasts, nuclear blasts, and much, much more. Stan Dale is with us, and we'll uh, discuss how to prepare and survive a catastrophe. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Stan Dale is uh, with us, emergency preparedness expert, standeo.com, the website. And again, if you uh, go to Stan Dale, that's Stan, S-T-A-N, Dale, D-E-Y-O.com, and scroll down, and uh, you'll see a sketch of a, a microphone there. And just right beside that, to the right of that, it says show, uh, show images. If you click on that, uh, that'll take you to the maps and graphs and, and uh, images that we've been discussing. And you can have a look at those while you're listening to our conversation. I, I really want to focus on you know how to survive. Um, when I was speaking with Michael Mallow recently, we we sort of you know went through the. Uh, all the gory details of uh, of how this EMP uh, will impact us, and and, and it's pretty gl- it's pretty uh, grim, obviously. Uh, but but let's let's see if we can give people some some hope here. Uh, sure. Sure. Well, how do you, Stan? How do you uh, uh, live? I mean, are you off the grid? Uh, do you have um, a plan in place to to get out of Dodge and and live off the land? Well, actually, um, here in Colorado, we we have about oh a little over one and a half acres around us. And we've, uh, you know, Holly, my wife, has uh, pioneered um, four-by-four and four-by-eight-foot intensive gardening. Uh, she's written a book or two on it and uh, uh, spoken uh, quite a bit on our website about it to show people how to weather things in situ, you know, in their homes if they can't get to a place out away from the city. Certainly it's not a good idea for people to live in any of the 120 major nuclear target cities in the United States, and she's listed those out in her book, The Dare to Prepare book. But um, we try to encourage people to build community around them, and here's why. If you go out into the bush, uh, into the local forest or whatever, and think you're going to go out there and survive off the land, it's not going to happen for everyone. In fact, it's going to be very difficult because of the the government's high-tech ways to find you, you know, infrared and various other things that would give your position away eventually. So, you know, and, and if you were out there in a camp by yourself with your family, maybe two or three kids and your wife, okay, and you can have all the guns in the world you want, but it's going to take people, you know, being on guard uh, duty while others sleep, and it's a very involved process to try to live, you know, in a Wild West situation out in the bush, especially since a lot of these areas are being followed up by Agenda 21 and are 
probably populated by Russian troops or UN troops or something we don't know about. But um, they're just, you're not as protected as you think out in the, in the wilderness. A uh, small group of one person on foot and traveling might, you know, be okay, maybe two. But you're, you're going to encounter a lot of problems out there. So we've been teaching people to get to know their neighbors and uh, to live away from the major cities so that you have less population problems to deal with when people get hungry and start forming gangs and roll around. Um, you know, just a, a case in point, uh, in New York in 1977 when they had the 24-hour power outage, uh, in one night, the looting and raiding that occurred in, in New York uh, caused 3,700 and some odd people to be arrested. And that was about half of who actually committed crimes that they caught. Now, in one day, now if you get an EMP, either from the sun or the enemy or whatever, and it wipes out power for months, maybe years, uh, imagine what it's going to be like. It, it'll be like a Mad Max scenario. Right, so, the, the, it's a pretty thin veneer of civility. We 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 often you know try and convince ourselves that when things are at their worst, we're at our best, but that grows tired after a few days, doesn't it? It does, and you know when it comes down to it, the head of a household will say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm a fireman normally, but I'm now going to take care of my family because my family comes first, so I'm not going to fight fires for you, you know, and if any fire trucks are working at that, that that time, but." Um, you know, this is why you need to have neighbors and friends that so can get together and run, you know, alternate, uh, uh, you know, stand watch at alternate times in the neighborhood and have some kind of a little communication system, whether it be, you know, um, string and can or whatever, um, so that you can say, look, I've got problems coming in over here. You know, we need your help to come to my house or, you know, run across the back fence. Um, you need weapons. You need uh, ammunition, and the government's trying to take those away, as is often discussed. And they don't want you to be able to, to resist. They want to declare martial law when things get bad. But there's not enough troops in the United States that are, you know, would be completely faithful you know, and obedient to the White House and to give orders to start shooting American citizens. It's just not going to work. There aren't enough of them, and even with Russians and U.N. troops, it's going to be very hard to put everybody under the thumb. So, you need to be able to cook, you need to be able to hood, uh, heat, and possibly cool your home or a living area without power, without electric power anyway. It is time to start preparing by getting a hold of uh, things that will, uh, A, allow you to uh, mitigate the effects of an EMP on your electronic devices you hope to, 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 to keep intact. And then, uh, B, you want to get solar cookers make tea in a glass jug with water and tea bags will buy some extra tea and store it away. Coffee, same thing. And, you know, you can cool yourself like you do in India and Australia in some places out in the outback, getting some, like, um, oh, uh, it's not muslin cloth, but it's like, uh, they call it couscous tatty in, in India, but it's like a very coarse weave cloth, burlap, that's what I was looking for. And you can make strips of that, and uh, if you've got access to water, you keep that moist and let the ambient uh, breezes blow through that and cool you off a bit uh, in a small area. Um, you know, that's heating and cooling. Stan, uh, if, I'm sorry to interject, but if I could get you just to speak up, uh, the, the phone connection is not great. I just want to make sure everyone okay, is hearing Okay, sorry about go. that. Uh, that's better. I realize that. Is that a little bit better? That's much better. Mic position. Okay, there we go. Sorry. That's much better. 
Okay, and, um, you know, so, okay, food is going to be a big issue. You don't want to be standing in food lines and, and handouts from FEMA and stuff like that. So you must have these things on your property and stored away quietly. Don't make a big deal about it if you do store things because I'm sure there will be a point in time when, when the government, whether it be local or federal, will say, Oh, uh, look, uh, folks, uh, we're in a time of crisis, and as you know, food supplies are very limited. So uh, there have been a bunch of people hoarding food, you know, these prepper, you know, terrorist types. So if you know anybody in your neighborhood that's been doing that, let us know, and, and we'll share some of their booty with you. And we'll give you 5 or 10% of it for your own household, but we need to distribute that food around. So your neighbors will rat on you, you know, one of them will somewhere. So you don't want to make it widely known what you've got. Um, and you will need to have food and water. And uh, we've put in, in our place, we couldn't dig a well. Uh, A, couldn't afford it, and B, if we could, if we could go down 1,200 feet and still not hit water where we are. So we got in some plastic um, storage tanks like they used in the the Gulf War. Right, right. Where do you get those? Well, now, we got them in a crowd. um, You know, I'd have to look it up in your next break, and I'll tell you, but we got ours here. I think it's in Denver. And they're spun, you know, they're spinning around, so they're very thick. And you can get them from, you know, a couple hundred gallons to, you know, in our case, we've got several of them that are like 2,500 gallons and uh, made arrangements to catch um, rain in the time of crisis. Not now because it's illegal, but to catch rain off a roof and, and throw it into these tanks and then filter it. Let me just stop you there, Stan. Did you just say it's illegal to catch rain and store it? Well, where we are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a lawsuit between Kansas, which is east of us in Colorado years back, 20, 30 years ago. And they, they wanted us to stop stopping or holding back the water over here that was normally running into the Arkansas River and into Kansas. And so it became illegal for you to catch water or to store stop water in its natural flow downhill over to Kansas. And, um, you know, as long as you didn't make a big deal about it, people got away with it that needed the water in the mountain communities. In the more populated cities and stuff here, you know, it became obvious that you were breaking the rules and somebody had a, a nasty on for you, they could report you. But, um, you know, there are ways around that. But in, in Australia, for instance, we left there in 2001. Off, we sold our farm and came on back up here. It got to the point down there in that socialist country where they were going to start putting a tax with a little meter on our water tanks they're going to tax the rainwater. Tax the rainwater. Yep. Oh my lord. <clears throat> now, once you store the water, you store the rainwater. How do you how do you purify it? How do you keep it clean and so forth? Well, there are a couple of ways. Uh, in the downspouts that catch the water coming off your roof, you'll have dirt and you know bird droppings and things on the roof. You don't want that in your water, or not much of it anyway. You'll get some no matter what. But you, you there's a little gizmo that will divert the early few minutes of a rainfall. It'll divert it so it doesn't go down into your tank that you've got storing the water. And after it's thought the, that the roof is clean, okay, it'll now close that little flap door and it'll start putting this rainwater into your tank. Now, you'll still get sediment and junk in there to say a lot of it will just settle down. Uh, in Holly's book, uh, the uh, Dare to Prepare book, and I think even on our website in the preparedness section, there are instructions about how many, you know, teaspoons or, you know, uh, drops, etc. of chlorine, which kinds of chlorine of powder or liquid to use for so many gallons of water to purify. And then after you've done that, you want to filter out the junk that's in there, you know, um, the, the turbidity that's in there, just little chunks of things. 
and you put that through, say, something like a, a Berkey water filter. Uh, we have um, two or three of them here in the house, and uh, we use them all the time now anyway, because these will filter out even you know viruses and bacteria and stuff like that, and they don't require power or pressure from the, the mains. You just pour water in and let it uh, trickle down through the filters and then put it into your cup and drink it. Um, you do need, in some cases, if you've got very dirty water, you know, a lot of chunks and stuff in it and some dirt maybe, uh, you do need to make a little pre-filter, and you can do that by putting some sand and some charcoal in a, uh, a bucket, uh, you know, with a little drain at the bottom of it and an open top, just to get rid of all the junk, you know, the heavy stuff that would clog your fine filters, like in the Berkey. Right. And once you've done that, that's, that's a pre-filter. Then you, you filter your water and drink it, and it's quite safe, and a lot of the bacteria and junk that would normally harm you is filtered out. Uh, and these filters, like, we've got them... Exactly. Each filter will run through about, oh, at least 10, maybe 15,000 gallons of water before you got to think about changing it. That's a lot. I mean, anyway, that'll last you for most of the emergency time, I'm sure. Uh, and if you've got a tank to store it in, you know, even a few hundred gallons, then you're, you know where you can go off in a bicycle and, and fill up jugs and stuff with town water or lake or whatever, that's, you know, junk water. As long as you can go get the water, you can bring it back and store it and and purify and clean it. I mean, you know, you can get, like, this uh, certain types of powdered chlorine powder that you, you know, you, you cleaned your swimming pool with. Right. And, and that will just, that, that'll clean tens of thousands of gallons in one of those little four or five pound white plastic containers. So that'll last you a long time. It's better than liquid chlorine because that stuff goes off in six to 12 months. It's not as powerful. Right. Powder, it will stay a lot, a lot longer. What about um, now food? You say you live on about an acre and a half, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there are these seed magazine, or these seed catalog companies online, and they'll they, they have these emergency uh, seed stores that'll uh, you know for a one acre garden, and they tell you exactly you know what kind of things you should be planting, a lot of heritage plants and so forth, mm-hmm. tomatoes and cabbage and, and all these things. But, but how most people do not know. How to grow a plant, a tomato plant, uh, or store and canning is you know that died off with our grandparents. Uh, and we got to learn how to do that stuff again, Stan. Well, you do. And now, now Holly has uh, in her book. Uh, it's got like oh, sixty-nine or seventy chapters. I forget now. We've added a couple in the last couple of years, but um, she tells you how to make your own soap, what you need, what chemistry, how to stir it, how to cook it, that kind of stuff. She tells you how to to um, make. Four by four gardens in a, in a book called uh, Garden Gold. It's an electronic book you can just download off of our, um, um, you know, our shopping carts here. I think it's like twelve bucks or something. And it's several hundred pages of color pictures and explanations about how to do, you know, growing trees, growing plants, and how to how to make it concentrated so you don't have to go out there and, and you know have a plow and plow up a half acre and uh, you know. Um, and, and weed it. That's one of the big things that you have trouble with in a normal garden. But this is using a technique the Chinese developed, and it's, it's intensive gardening, which means, say, like in a four-foot-by-four-foot four little bed that you build with some, you can buy it from frame it all, just these plastic wood boards that build it up about eight inches tall, and you fill that with a special soil mix that you can make out of it. She tells you how to do that, too. What percentage of, you know, cow manure, sheep manure, and then, you know, um, the various things, you know, peat moss and all these things, you need to make a perfect soil. 
And we do that here. I mean, uh, we just uh, finished today uh, with our early planting. Now we had seeds we were growing inside the house. We tell you how to do that, too, show you pictures of how we've done it, because city dwellers have just been cut off from the land. So you need to get ready to do that, and it's a learning curve. Well, how many of those 4 by 4 gardens do you need to, let's say, feed a family of four? Well, let's see. I I can't quote the figure right off the top of my head. I know it's not many, uh, 4 by 4 one, two, three. You probably need about um, eight to ten of them. Okay. And you're not going to, I mean, these are things you just, I mean, I made my, my four-by-fours originally by hand. I just went down to Lowe's and got some timber and cut it and, you know, nailed it together. And, and uh, the thing you got to watch, though, uh, yeah, you got to look, look out for birds and you got to look out for rabbits and mice getting into your stuff. Right. So you have to get this netting and stretch it around it especially when the plants are young because there are some birds that will go down and peck at it and just uproot it looking for worms and stuff that might be around the roots of it. I speak from experience. I mean, we bought a couple of air rifles here just to get rid of some of what we call the, the hook bills, uh, which are curved bill thrashers or something like that. And they got yellow eyes and they're nasty birds. They dive in and they just rip your plants out. Don't shoot till you see the yellow in their eyes. <laughs> you L- bet. Listen, Stan, well, I got to take a time out. We'll come back and I want to find out exactly maybe what crops we should be growing. And uh, we'll talk about other uh, essential items maybe that we need to be hoarding. Yeah, I've got some information on this EMP protection stuff that people ought to hear. We'll do that when we come back. Stan Deo, as we talk about preparing for a cataclysmic event. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Welcome back. You know, the day could be uh, slowly approaching or quickly approaching uh, where each of us may have to trade in our company identification badges for a shovel and a pair of overalls and become micro-farmers. We're talking with Stan Deo about how to prepare for some impending cataclysmic event, natural or man-made. And uh, we've discussed, you know, water storage. Uh, Now we're discussing food, growing of food, micro-farming, planting for the seasons. Uh, We need to know about natural insect repellents. We need to know about seed collection, seed storage. Uh, You know, most of us have no experience, zero experience with planting anything. You know, a tomato comes from the grocery store. Uh, it just magically appears there. But when the proverbial SHIT hits the fan, we need to start doing these things for ourselves. So, Stan, if we're going to grow an emergency garden, and you talked about these four-by-four gardens, and let's say for a family of four, you need eight to ten of them, what, are the, uh, what do you think are the essential crops that you should be growing? Well, you have to look at nutrition, and even though corn is nice, it takes up a lot of space. And it's not as nutritious as, say, green beans or uh, snap peas, snow peas, uh, or uh, lettuce or spinach. These are iron and zinc uh, compounds in those. Uh, carrots are good. Uh, carrots, you can, you can grow a lot of carrots in a 4 by 4 bed there. Um, what Holly has done in that uh, Garden Gold book is she's, she's um, shown you how many of what kind of seed you can put in one square foot. What's the intensive growing? I mean, when I say intensive, you pack them in, and they're so tightly packed in there, and the soil is so rich that you make up that um, you don't need to weed it because the actual crop you've planted, whatever the vegetable is, uh, forces all the others out. It takes over. 
And, like, we were giving away lots of tomatoes last year to our neighbors and stuff because what did we have? We had two, three. I think we had four tomato bushes in a four-by-four. And we got so many tomatoes, we could not eat them all. Um, And during the winter, we even got a grow light here, and we plugged it in, and we grew the the, the, uh, tomatoes inside. Uh, There's a learning curve there, too, but then we were getting really good tomatoes that taste like a tomato, not cellophane painted red, you know. (laughs) You can grow tomatoes inside in the winter. Can you grow asparagus and and broccoli inside? Well, um, asparagus is a little trickier. It takes a while to to grow, and you need a lot of area to let its roots uh, spread out. And it's, we've done it, but we didn't do it inside. We do it out the back. Um, in In the best case, what you would do is make you up some of these little miniature greenhouses what they are they're just things that are about two or three feet tall in the peak of it and you put them over your four by four and um you let the sun heat those there's a way to let the sun shine on it and uh, dark dirt and stuff like that will hold the heat in and you can insulate it and so you can actually grow outside during the winter within reason if you've got four feet of snow on top of it, it's not going to work but you know what i'm saying right right um, you can at least extend your growing season. That's right. That's right. And and if you're clever, there are ways that you can protect your your um, growing your mini greenhouses and stuff like that from snowfall and excessive rain by putting a a, a slide sheet over it that you build with some clothesline and, and a couple poles, and you can you can pull it over and shield those things from intrusion by you know the, the environment or the weather. But anyway, that's that's you know. Um, not a major issue because if you grow tomatoes and you grow, let's say, I mean, we're, we've got uh, 15 trees in our fruit orchard too. We grow fruit and we can it. We make um, preserves, we make jelly, um, and you can stew tomatoes and things like that and put them over. We have um, uh, like peppers that we we preserve peppers. You can do that in, in uh, vinegar and various other things. You can grow pickles, you know, just cucumbers. You can grow. Um, the garden-type cucumbers are the long ones for your salad, or you can grow the, the short, stubby ones with little boards all over it, which are pickles. And and these just grow really well in these things. We grow squash. We grow, uh, uh, you know, the um, acorn squash. Uh, we grow, um, let's see, uh, cilantro, a, a, a spice we use in our Mexican cooking here, or Tex-Mex. Um, we grow um, Jerusalem artichoke, which is a tubular. It grows down in the ground underneath. And we've got a four by eight for that one because the root of that, you harvest it uh, in the fall, and it lasts you for a year, all that stuff. Ah. It helps to cure diabetes and to hold it back. You eat about a, um, the size of a big fat hen egg once or twice a week, and it keeps your blood sugar in control. Well, speaking of hens, uh, what do you do for protein? Well, our neighbors... Uh, one of them has chickens, and we're going to trade with him for a while, but uh, we are thinking about putting in chickens here. But the problem you've got there is you've got to feed them, and, you know, you're not going to run down the store and get chicken food or your chicken feed for them. So it's going to be table scraps. If you've got any left, they'll be sharing on part of your the stuff that you eat to give you the, the protein. And to that end, you can buy uh, freeze-dried uh, vegetables and things that are on trays and, and, and do it that way. Um, you know, pluck them up. So I'd say... We've looked at it, and the, the cost of building the hen house and protecting it is uh, holding us back. So we're going to trade with neighbors and friends that have got eggs. We'll trade them, you know, to, you know that kind of stuff. It's it's a barter system, and, and that's the way we're going to handle it. But certainly uh, the chickens would be good, and 
if you are going to breed them and have you know roosters come out of it, um, you're going to have to uh, watch your rooster because he'll wake up everybody in the neighborhood and you won't be popular. And it also tells the predators where your chicken coop is. Right, right. Uh, so in essence, you you have a bunch of female, you know, a bunch of hens who are laying, and uh, they will lay year round if you get the right kind, and in, in quite plentifully. But you still have to feed them and uh, give them water. What about fish farming? Fish farming is good. Um, we tried that on the, on our farm down in Australia, and we had about a hundred thousand gallon uh, pond there, and uh, we raised uh, yellow yellow tails and silver tails. I think something like that they call them down there. But that takes probably a year, year and a half to get them up to eating size. All right, listen, we'll take another time out. We'll come back. We'll have about 15 minutes to, uh, to get people prepared. Uh, we can do that, right? 15 minutes? <laughs> Stan Deo is with us, standeo.com. His wife Holly's book is Dare to Prepare, and uh, he's also the author of The Cosmic Conspiracy. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Here's another age-old skill uh, that has gone by the boards years ago uh, that's going to come in handy again, and that's uh, candle making. Do you know how to make your own candles, Stan? Yep, that's in Holly's book, too. Is that fairly straightforward? Oh, it is. There, that uh, You just need to have your supplies, you know, your wax and uh, your tallow or whatever you're going to use, and some uh, uh, thread to use, you know, like a little thicker than thread, some cord to use as a wick. Um, but she goes through all that in the book. Um, it, it's... Uh, a, a very comprehensive thing that she's put together over the years as people would write and say, because we've been doing this for like, gosh, 16, 17 years. And she started a community newsletter when we were down in Australia. And people would say, listen, how do you do such and such? She said, well, I'll check and see, you know. And she'd write out on the Internet and people would write in. But let me, let me give you an idea of what's in this book just by chapters. I mean, there, there's a chapter, a whole chapter dedicated to... Uh, type of generators and what you need and uh, uh, you know um, if you're going to do emergency water treatment there's uh, two or three chapters on that um, how you can find water like the, the aborigines do uh, we've tried that and there's a very clever way to do that um, and you just need some artificial grass for that in a little elevated place and you can make the sun give you fresh water out of salt water or all kinds of junk water um, first aid supplies you need she discusses that underground storage uh, colloidal silver, soap making, candle making, uh, fire building, uh, you know, how to do it like to, you know, from scratch, uh, just common things and how you make biodiesel fuel. Um, composting is another thing that you need to put in your dirt for the next season. And then how to grow food, there's a whole chapter on that as well, how to dry jerky and vegetables and things if you've got, you know, protein as well. And seed, uh, seed storage and collection is, is important. I mean, you've got to hold back, obviously. Uh, some of the some of the seeds for for the next growing season, and then how do you well, store those seeds? Well, now you don't want it to uh, let them be in a temperature that's uh, say above seventy degrees. You want to keep them at a constant temperature at seventy between say. Oh, you can take them out of freezing. We've got some we keep in our freezers, but when the the electricity goes, we'll have to be uh, letting them go at uh, a cool temperature, which you can dig down like the old root cellars they used to have. You dig it down probably six to ten feet, well six to eight feet, I guess. And down that deep, you can cover it over and keep the temperature fairly stable, and the seeds will stay for viable for two or three years from one season. As long as you don't 
buy hybrid plants to start with because those seeds aren't any good to come off of that. So they give you spindly fruit or vegetables if they give you anything at all. Uh, she, she also covers how to take care of your pets, provide for them with some of the food and stuff that you're going to be eating and uh, that they would need, gas masks, nuclear emergencies, how to survive the fallout cloud, you know. Uh, just, there's a heap of stuff in there. And you can read about it on the website. You go click on that stand out com and click on Dare to Prepare, and, and she'll show you the, the chapter titles and, and give you an idea of what's in that book. I mean, this is this book. Her book is being used by government first responder uh, classes. Okay, it it is really the bible of emergency preparedness for homes and even for like um, the counties and cities and stuff, in small cities and things. Give us some tips on some uh, some ordinary household items uh, that can be used for other purposes. I remember uh, re- reading once about a you know a makeup mirror could be used to start a fire, or a watch could be turned into a compass. These sorts of things. Oh, a, um, a camera lens. If you got a camera, you can. I have a little thing that I bought at Amazon, which fits in my pocket because I'm getting older and I need to uh, you know enlarge the menu so I can read it at a restaurant. And it's got a little thing about the size. It's less than the size of a quarter. It's probably about a nickel size. A little magnifying glass built into it, not thick. And I started to fire out in the orchard yesterday with it, some of the dead leaves. I just thought, I'll try this and see. took me something like um, five seconds. Um, And those you can carry around with you. Um, Anyway, yeah, you you, you can start fires that way. And uh, you got to know a little bit about how to get your tinder and, you know, the the stuff to trigger the fire. Uh, One thing I wanted to, to address here before we go into some of these other common things is on that show images page, I did some research uh, on a couple of very important issues. One, people were saying, look, can we protect our devices inside of a metal trash can that you can get at the hardware store? Use it as a Faraday cage, essentially. You can, but I've got a video on there. It's down around the fourth line down the first uh, image there. It goes to a video on YouTube where Dr. Arthur Bradley, who wrote uh, a book on the subject, actually does the proper thing in testing broadcast signals and shielding in a trash can. And he shows you that if you just put that metal lid on that trash can, it's not going to be very efficient at all. It will let the, the EMP leak in at such strength that it will hurt the device and kill it, you know, whatever you're storing in there. But he says if you go down to Lowe's and you buy two-inch wide, you know, the, uh, the air conditioning ducting tape, that metal conductive tape, right, right. and you just put that around, it's sticky and, and it's conductive, you just tape around the edge of that lid where it joins the, the uh, can, and it increases by about 500% the, the shielding. And it, you know, it's not expensive. There you go. So your metal trash can can be used as an EMP cage. Now, someone else just emailed me. Actually, it's our friend The Dude, one of our listeners. Uh, the Dude, he goes by. And he says everyone's got a Faraday cage practically in their house. They're a microwave oven. You just unplug it. Well, in the in the event of a power outage, it's going to be uh, useless anyway. So right. you could store things in your old microwave oven. You could indeed. Um, now, there's something else too. Now, a lot of people are, are um, you know getting these trash can type things to do it. They need to know about that foil or that tape you put around it. But also, you need to put something inside there that's non-conductive, like a uh, plastic or uh, not not newspaper or cardboard that can get if it gets any water in it, it'll it'll conduct. So you want something like plastic or, or wood, hard wood, to sit whatever you're protecting on top of so it doesn't touch the edge of the can on the inside. And secondly, uh, there have been a lot of tests done out at uh, the White Sands uh, you know, nuclear facility testing what an EMP will do to your car. 
and they have a big tunnel that you can that they've been driving cars through and hitting it with a field strength of an EMP bomb. And contrary to what a lot of people think, 97% of the cars out there will survive it. It might make your clock run a bit funny, but the car, if it stops, it'll glide to a stop. It won't just suddenly jerk to a stop, and you can restart it. Ah, well, that's some good news. It is. Now, if you if you take a wire and attach it to the frame of your car and put it down into a, uh, a pipe you drive down the ground about four or five feet, you know, copper rod or something like that, so you ground it, you can then use your car as a Faraday case, throw stuff in it, shut the door, and it's safe. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not the best, but it'll do in, in a pinch. You can use Mylar bags. We talk about that, you know, here a lot, because uh, Holly uses it in the, uh, the Dare to Prepare and in the, in the food storage section. A Mylar bag is like those, those uh, shiny balloons that you get at Walmart or something, that, you know, helium balloons. It, but, a, but a bag made out of that stuff is much higher quality, and you can take that and put your cell phone in, you put other things in, roll it up, put a clamp on it, and it shields. Uh, I've got a video on that there, too, on using that. So those are important things about this Faraday case because I wanted to get people to read it and be educated. And there's a report by the government, the report of the commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse attack. That report is on my website. It's a PDF. Click on it. It's down the fourth row right in the middle in blue and, and white lettering. Click on that and read that sucker, and, and you will be amazed at what you see. I mean, they don't just talk about devices and stuff. They talk about damages to transportation, what will happen to pacemakers. You know, uh, again, about 90% of the pacemakers, you'll get through it because they've been building them now with metal shielding on them so that when they put the paddles on somebody to revive them, it doesn't hit their pacemaker. So pacemakers will probably be okay for most people. You know, I hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me in, in the event of an EMP. What will happen with, to all these people with pacemakers? And not only that, the ones that do fail, and, and that'll be a very small percent, the body is not going to, I mean, the heart's not going to stop unless something really, you know, like, like panic sets in because the heart will normally be producing a weak firing pulse for the, you know, to, to make it convulse. And that will pick up and it will be erratic and stuff like that, but you'll still be alive. So you don't panic, you know. I mean, even if your, your, your pacemaker fails. So uh, you just go on to plan B where you're not quite as active and you're careful and uh, keep calm. But... There's just so many good things like that in this report. Not everything from the government is, is bad news. No, absolutely not. No. Uh, what, what, give us a couple of other items, uh, useful household items that are handy in an emergency. Okay. okay. Uh, power is if you can get power. Uh, solar panels and power batteries. Uh, I suggest that you get Edison and uh, nickel iron batteries. You can get them from, um, oh, um, uh, well, in, in Denver, there's a, a young fellow that's been bringing them from from China, but he's going to start making them pretty soon in his, in his company. But, uh, you know, uh, wind generators, uh, solar generators, uh, bicycles, they'll be turned into, you know, like you can put out maybe, oh, 80 to 100 joules, uh, you know, like watts if you're pedaling pretty fast. But um, anyway, these, these kind of things uh, you can get from a company called ironedison.com, uh, I-R-O-N-Edison.com, and these this concept was invented by uh, uh, Mr. Edison a hundred and some odd years ago, Thomas Edison, and they still work, and they're better than the other batteries as far as how much power you can get out of them. Um, a friend of mine and I are working on a prototype of a way to make a wind generator that has no moving parts. Um, 
the wind will blow through it and build up a charge in a capacitor, and you can then dump that into these batteries and, and use it. Um, so power, water, food, biological necessities, medicines, get get ahead on your medicines, uh, your own painkillers or things that you uh, can stretch out a bit, then stretch them out and get a month or two ahead, you know, by cutting back a bit, but storing them in a cool place. Uh, let's see. What else would you put in an, in an emergency uh, first aid kit? Oh, well, there's, um, it, uh, for severe wounds and things like that, you can get these blood clotter packs that you just put onto a wound and tie it on, and it will cause it to clot very quickly so that you don't bleed to death. Tourniquets are nice. Uh, um, things to get, uh, like like uh, eye swabs and things like that, and eye rinses uh, for antihistamine, you know, like for bee stings and also for, you know, uh, things that might get in a person's eye, little tweezers that are, you know... A good pair of tweezers is absolutely essential, yeah. Yeah, uh, band-aids. Uh, you know, small bandage, and then you got the gauze bandage, you got the gauze pads, and you got uh, the tape to wrap around. You can get that special kind of tape that's kind of stretchy, and you can. I'm sure you've seen it when they when you get your blood taken, they put them on those. Yeah, a, a, a woman's sanitary napkin, great for first aid. Uh, yeah, and I've wondered. I've heard some reports. If you get a sanitary napkin, it's like a, a rod, you know, like a right. You can plug that in a wound uh, for temporary, you know, uh, stopping the bleeding, but. Um, okay, let's see what else have we got in there. We've got those, we've got that. Uh, I think that, you know, we're just about out of time here, Stan, but I think the other thing, and, and you talked about this as well, is that is get to know your neighbors and you've got to form these communities because, let's face it, most of us are not going to perform self-dentistry. Uh, most of us are not going to be able to perform surgery. Uh, so, you know, you've got to, to get to know your neighbors and hopefully you're going to be in an area where there is a doctor. You're going to One of my to... neighbors is a dentist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very so we, important. Yeah, so we can't do this on our own. We've got to form little communities. Yeah, I know. I, I, I joke, but it's it, we are at the time right now where you've got a little bit of time, a few days, weeks, whatever, before everything falls apart. I, I'd say mid to late summer, we're going to see things hitting, hitting the United States that aren't going to be pleasant. But uh, get get started now. Uh, and, and Holly tells you, look, it doesn't matter whether you only prepare for one day. You're better off than you were the day before. That's right. Well, listen, Stan, uh, again, we'll direct people to the website, standeo.com, Stan, S-T-A-N, Deo, D-E-Y-O, dot com. And uh, the book, written by your lovely bride, Holly, Dare to Prepare, lots of information in there. Can they order the book right off the website? They can. Uh, We've had a recent uh, increase in in demand, and so we're in reprint now that I've put up on the website. We'll have new stock in. Uh, the 16th of this month, but uh, they've just swamped us here. So, All right. Stan, great pleasure. We'll do it again sometime soon. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Stan Dale. My thanks to Tim Spreen. Back next week, brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light, what you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.